Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. You're a doc. Before. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized recreation. It's no wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. It's Thursday, November 12th, and you are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Percacci. Thank you for joining me. I've got three great guests for you today. For the first half of our show, I'll be joined by supervisors Ted Williams and John Hashcheck who together make up the Cannabis Ad Hoc Committee for Mendocino County. And they'll be giving us an update on what's going on with the county's cannabis program. After we get that important information, I'll be joined by Len Mackey. He is a first-time hemp farmer in upstate New York. And he'll be sharing a bit with us about what his experience farming hemp this year has been like. We may or may not have time for callers at the end, so stay tuned and hopefully we'll be able to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from you, I just want to remind you that we are wrapping up our quiet drive with a flash drive. Here at the station, we haven't wanted to interrupt crucial programming with a traditional fundraising drive, so we've held a quiet drive in the hopes of raising enough money to meet our budget goal. We've now moved into the flash drive portion of this effort, and we'll be wrapping it up completely on November 15th. AZYX is committed to covering emerging stories and delving into the details of what's happening right now by bringing you the voices of people in our community who have this information. This vital news coverage, as well as KZYX's essential music service, is made possible through community support. If you're a member of KZYX, thank you. Your support ensures local journalism, statewide and national coverage, and an informed public. Help us sustain this community resource. It's a very important time for us all to be well-informed. KZYX is bringing you reliable information about the coronavirus, facts from local healthcare professionals, and information about schools, the census, fires, and other emergency coverage and resources available to the community. You depend on reliable information so you can make informed decisions. We're able to bring you this important coverage thanks to the generosity of listeners who gave during earlier fundraisers. Please join them and join the KZYX community. We have a $1,000 pledge drive goal for today's edition of the Cannabis Hour. So if you'd like to help us meet this goal, please give us a call and donate at 707-895-2324. That number again is 707-895-2324. You can also send a check 
to P.O. Box 904, Philo, California, 95466, or visit our website at kzyx.org and use the donate button. We have fabulous thank you gifts available, including KZYX masks, bandanas, tote bags, and emergency solar and crank powered radios. And you can view those thank you gifts on our website where you can also donate. All right, Supervisors Hashcheck and Williams, are you here with us? This is John. Here today. Great to be here. Great. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for taking the time to join us. I know that you two have a limited amount of time today, so I'm just going to jump right in and ask you to go ahead and give us an update on what's up with the cannabis program. Ted, you want to start or did I? Well, I'll just well, start. I can go for it, John. Okay. You know, we have this um, deal with the um, annual state license deadline of being January 1st, 2022. And, and that's um, certain, you know, the provisionals will be done away with at that point. So what we're trying to do is extend that deadline. We've had talks with CDFA and they want to extend the deadline, but they don't have the power to do it. And so, so what we're trying to get together right now is the regional group of the supervisors from, you know, six counties from Del Norte down to Sonoma, including Humboldt, Lake, and Trinity, Mendocino, of course. And so I'm trying to get that together right now and so that we can put some pressure on our legislators to um, extend that deadline. And um, so we had a meeting last year at around this time. And so because of COVID, we haven't met since, but we're going to do a virtual meeting within the next couple of weeks to um, get that pressure from each of the counties on onto the state. The governor's office, too, needs to hear it. And um, also we're going to try to put pressure on to get the four-acre limit for cooperatives we're going to try to extend that or, you know, get that either taken out or um, increased considerably. So, so those are the two goals I have for our um, regional meeting. And, and then we've had, um, we've had meetings with CDFW and we've got a biologist um, that's going to come on within hopefully the next few weeks to start doing the sensitive species reviews. And so, so um, that's a collaborative effort that Supervisor Williams and I have um, gotten going with CDFW to, um, to provide that so it streamlines, you know, gets rid of the blockade that was happening. And so, so hopefully with a one or two of these biologists from CDFW, we can really work through the um, sensitive species reviews quickly. Ted? Yeah, so, so the, extending the provisional uh, begs the question of, of why. And I think it's important uh, for people to, to understand that going forward, starting January 1st of 2022, it's a re statewide requirement that cultivators hold a state license. 
this is not a license that our county can issue. This is a license that uh, uh, Department of Food and Agricultural issues. And in other counties that have discretionary use permits, the county does their permitting with the cultivator and then hands the documentation, the evidence that site-specific review was done to the state, and the state is able to use that to meet their um, uh, California Environmental Quality Act requirements and issue the license. In our county, we don't we haven't done that site specific because we had a ministerial uh, uh, permit, and uh, there's been ongoing uh, discussion about is it is there any way we can document enough site specific review that we can meet the state's requirement? And we we're I don't know that we're at an impasse yet, although I I would argue that we're rather close. Maybe we have one more meeting with CDFA, and the t two possible outcomes are. We find, we find a means to document enough site-specific review, and we then find ourselves in a position of needing to come up with millions of dollars to hire outside consultants to do that documentation because we don't have anywhere near enough staffing. Probably, uh, you know, we have about 5% of what we need. The other possibility is we figure out that we're at an impasse. We don't have what CDFA needs, in which case the cultivator is uh, kind of on their own in doing full CEQA, which probably costs more than $15,000. CDFA doesn't have staff to ready to review it. It could take years waiting for review. We don't know what that means. Will they keep a provisional uh, and co continue cultivating during that time? It's an unknown. But what, what's become apparent is some counties, a lot of counties, have a, a local process that then feeds in as a shortcut to a state license. In our county, the, the county permit does nothing for the cultivator to get their state license. And so we're taking all the regulation that the state has put on cannabis cultivation, and then we're piling on a bunch more. We don't know exactly where this will go. And with that said, we do have a meeting next week with CDFA. And there, because we kind of feel like we're kind of butting heads at this point, that they're bringing in some um, lawyers from the Office of Research and Planning, which is the clearinghouse for CEQA, and the idea being that the this 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 person or persons from the Office of Research and Planning could bring in a new set of eyes and uh, perspective into this process, and maybe they they would have a different point of view than what the county has and what CDFA has at this point. And I know that you both have a meeting uh, today with Senator McGuire at 9.30, and is that anything that has to do with uh, the topics that we're talking about? Yeah, I would say uh, we want to talk about all these topics with him. And, and Senator McGuire has been very supportive, and, and I think that um, he needs to be in the loop to, to know what the state bureaucracy is doing, what the county is doing, and, you know, the kind of the frustration on both the state and county's part about what's going on right now. But also, you know, those other issues about extending the provisionals and the cooperative development, he needs to know about, too. Right. And I, you know, I was in the 
informed somewhat about um, the issues that we've been having with our CEQA process, uh, but I was not aware that you both were trying to um, extend the the cap for for cooperatives beyond four acres. I think that's really fantastic. I know that that's an issue that um, cannabis cultivators had been concerned about being limited in that way a few years ago, but I think it had kind of fallen off the radar for a lot of people as these larger issues had come up. So I just want to say, I think that's really great that you're both seeking to allow um, cooperatives to be larger. Hopefully that will allow more cooperatives to be formed in Mendocino County. Um, what has that process looked like for you? Have you had pushback on a state level about that? Or is this sort of the first time you've tried to approach higher ups about getting that um, barrier lifted? Could you talk a little more about that? Well, we had a talk with Nicole Elliott, who, what's her title, Ted? Is she? Ted there? Are you anyway. here with us? Well. Oh, go ahead, John. Sorry, sorry, I was on mute. Well, Nicole cool. Elliott, I think, is the senior advisor for all things cannabis to Governor Newsom. Yeah. Okay, so she's way up there. We had a talk with her because we were feeling some frustration about uh, the cooperative development and the equity grant through GoBiz. And so we brought up with her some of the issues about that. And she was surprised and supportive of the issue, even though it, it's one of those, um, that four-acre limit was from the very beginning of the cannabis legalization, and um, it has no place. It's ridiculous to have it at this point when you can stack 60 or 101-acre permits for an individual and um, I just don't think a lot of those people are aware of it. So, so we just need to bring it to their attention and hopefully have someone who can push it forward to get rid of it. Right. Fantastic. And you brought up the equity program, um, which is, I'm so glad you brought that up. Would you give us a brief update on what's going on with that in Mendocino County? Ted, would you like to well, speak on the equity one the, program? Frankly, one of the difficulties we're having with the equity program is it's geared around uh, providing financial assistance to get people through our county process, which doesn't get them a state license today. And, you know, eventually it could be deprecated for that reason. And we're struggling with we need to spend the dollars. There, the clock is ticking. There is a timetable. But... Um, how many times have we sent cannabis folks down a path and then said, oh, no, that's not quite right, do this other thing? We want to make sure that this is firm, that we have an end-to-end -end solution, that they will get a state license before we begin spending those dollars. It's um, Frankly, for me, it's like I joined this um, uh, committee. I feel like I've just stepped outside and fallen into a cesspool of Prop 64, and this is what a lot of uh, uh, spectators thought would happen. The Prop 64 is really a small farm killer. It's, it's, it's designed to benefit those large corporate grows in places like Santa Barbara. And here we are fighting the manifestations. And, you know, it, the discretionary model does look better because we're moving about zero miles per hour. And I think next year 
will be still be moving zero miles per hour towards that state license. If the counties that have discretionary, they're moving at a really slow speed, but at least they're moving. That said, you look at Humboldt County, and uh, they're, they're, they're running into a lot of problems. You're putting people through a discretionary process. They're not all going to get approved. You're going to have neighbors come out who never knew there was cultivation in their neighborhood, right, it probably, you know, one by one. That's going to be a very slow process. And even if the provisionals get extended, say they get extended two years, if we staff up four or five times staffing we have to be at the same level as Humboldt, they do about 70 use permits per year. We have over 1,100 in our queue, in our backlog. We need more than a decade. So we're, we're, we're finding that the pieces are not really coming together. What we're instead we're finding is this is the fallout that was projected before Prop 64 passed. We're just now experiencing that hit. So I'll say right. um, uh, Supervisor Havchak is, is the more optimistic of the two of us. He's doing everything he can at every turn to bring new ideas, to ask, you know, get a second opinion, ask again. I, I think uh, the two of us have um, uh, agreed that we, we need outside counsel to give us a second opinion on the legal matters, make sure that the county's... Um, interpretation of CEQA and the negotiation with the state is is really accurate. There aren't other options. And so that's one area we haven't explored that I think we probably um, will bring back to the full board soon. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, on that note, it's important to have both optimism and honesty and a lot of the ways that you are describing um, the process and Prop 64 is exactly how the small cultivators in this county feel about it. So it's actually relieving to hear that reflected from you because that is the reality of what's going on. So we have about four minutes before I think you two have to hop off. So John, do you have anything to add to that or or Ted, any last you know thoughts before you two depart for your meeting with Senator McGuire? Well, the funny yeah, thing I was, was, was uh, what, what? Sorry, go ahead, John. Oh, go ahead, Ted. I was going to say one correction. Uh, previously, I know I was asked, well, from cultivators, what if they just do their full sequence submitted to the state? We didn't know what would happen, and uh, CDFA. Uh, considers that to be the nuclear option, and so I was hesitant to recommend it. But but it, they've confirmed it, it is a legal pathway, and uh, it's probably expensive. But there may be some cultivators who, who recognize their business is on the line. There's no other solution on the table. Maybe it's worth doing that full CEQA and submitting it to the state, and which checks off their last uh, requirement to get a state annual license. It's not for everybody, but it may help some. And, Supervisor uh, has checked. Yeah, that, uh, when, we were, when we were talking, Senator McGuire called me because he said he was, I, I guess I had set up the Zoom, and um, he was listening to to all of us talk on the Cannabis Hour, and he was it was coming through the Zoom somehow. So, so anyway, um, yeah, what Ted says is right, and and we're, you know, we're continuing to look at these things. You know, the Ted and I were both against the hemp ordinance for a variety of reasons, and um, there's just a lot of um, 
change or op, you know different options going on right now that we, we're feeling a sense of urgency, and everyone has that urgency because of this the provisional deadline. And so we're Ted and I are working as hard as we can to try to figure this out and um, make it right for you know the small mom and pops of of Mendocino County. So we don't know where it's going to end up, but. Um, we're we're trying, and we're working on it. Absolutely, and I think you know all of us in the cannabis community absolutely see that effort from both of you. And um, I've been involved in this process since the beginning, also. And I have to say, I've seen more work out of this ad hoc committee with the two of you than I have seen in the past, and it feels genuine and like it's moving in the right direction, whatever that direction may be, you know, like you said, we don't have a lot of control over many elements of this situation with Prop 64, but I do feel that you both are doing your best, so I want to thank you so much for your hard work. It certainly sounds like you are navigating quite a tangled web of factors there, so thank you so much. And it is 9.24. I know you both wanted to hop off at 9.25, so I will let you both go. And again, thank you for your time today, and thank you for your service to our county. Thank, thank well, you thank for having you, us. Uh, thank, thank all of the members for funding the station and keeping it going. Yeah, I was just going to say that, too, is that please support the Quiet Drive for the Cannabis Hour. And Jen's doing a great job and volunteers her time to keep the community informed. So thank you. Thank you both so much. And um, we have another fabulous guest coming up in just a moment. That is Len Mackey with Shima Hill Hemp Farm. And before we bring Len on the line, I do just want to give out that number one more time for our fundraiser. We do have a $1,000 uh, goal for the this hour today. So if you would like to donate, to KZYX and become a new member, or maybe you already are a member and you just want to give some more. We have people standing by right now to take your call, and you can reach them at 707-895-2233. That number again is 707-895-23. And you can also donate at kzyx.org using the donate button, or you can send a check. Box 904 Philo California 95466. We have some fantastic thank you gifts on our website, kzyx.org. You can view them there. They include KZYX masks, very topical, bandanas, tote bags, and emergency Eaton solar and crank powered radios. And so I just received a correction there that um, post office box is actually post office box one, Philo, California, 95466. If you would like to donate through the mail with a check or give us a call, that number one more time is 707-895-2233. So we have another guest joining us today. That guest is Len Mackey. He is the operator of Shima Hill Hemp Farm outside of Canton, New York. He is also a Scorpio who offers Ancient Earth classes, Little Tracker homeschool programming, and wellness 
courses at local universities and on the farm. These include feral human outdoor fitness, yoga, correct exercise, personal training, ninjutsu, and West African drum and dance. He is a highly motivated, adaptable, and spiritual individual who has been growing the sacred cannabis in small secret gardens from the age of 15. In previous incarnations, he was a professional wedding photographer, exotic dancer, ballroom teacher, reiki practitioner, and modern dance accompanist. Either he is a renaissance man or just has ADD. He's not sure which. A northern New York native, he grew up getting stung by honeybees in the family garden and playing in the woods, hunting, fishing, trapping, and talking with the earth spirit. He is recipient of Art Start and Decentralization Grants provided by New York State by the St. Lawrence County Arts Council for six years now, offering music, performance, and cultural education. He is the founder of the YouTube channel Earth Skills, Len Mackey, and Song of the Spheres Incorporated, a multimedia company specializing in education and entertainment for children of all ages. You can find him on Instagram, Ancient Earth Skills. Len, are you here with us? I am here, Jen. How's it going? Going so well. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. So I just wanted to start off our time together by asking you, what is your personal relationship with cannabis? Um, well, I first interacted with it as a teenager and um, used it for fun and also to meditate and, you know, give thanks in the morning and, um, you know, really just always enjoyed the magic of the plant. It always seemed to have a certain kind of glow to it. And it was always a fun adventure sneaking out to the secret garden um, and trying to leave no tracks. So it's been quite an adventure working with the plant and also uh, a great pleasure now to um, be able to put it out in the open field with irrigation and full sun. And, yeah, it's uh, definitely a dream come true at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds full circle experience for you, having cultivated secretly and now being able to cultivate, like you said, right out in the open in an open field. And so um, you're growing hemp. Um, I'm assuming this is your first time ever growing hemp, although we know hemp and cannabis are actually the same. But <laughs> is that correct? This is your first year as a hemp farmer? Uh, yep, this is the first year as a hemp farmer. Um we built a greenhouse and put in all the irrigation and um, put out just shy of 500 mamas and um, a few CBD strains and some CBG strains. Um, but, yeah, it's my first go-around with hemp, um, and we have a license through New York State, and we're also doing a research partnership through University of Vermont on uh, various cultivation um, cover crop methods, um, you know, with a variety of controls using clover, haylage, um, nothing at all, um, and stuff like that to just see, you know, if we also, you know, if we don't need to use black plastic, that was the other control, um, or not, and if there's a benefit either way. 
Um, so it's been fun, uh, a fun first, doing some science alongside of uh, all the, the learning and the new challenges, I must say. <laughs> yeah, that is super cool, really cool that you can work with some academic organizations. So are you growing your hemp plants from seed or from clone? Uh, yeah, we started a bunch of seeds uh, mid-May. Um, I didn't move in here till about May 1st, so things got going a little slower than we intended. But, yeah, we did everything from seed, all feminized seeds. Um, there was the option, I think, to get some clones downstate, but um, didn't end up needing to. We got a variety of seed from our friends in Vermont. Um, so that worked out just great, and we had a really good germination, and the uh, Greenhouse worked wonders, so it was perfect for this cooler environment. Right. So you, you are in upstate New York. That's got to be a much different uh, season than we have out here in Northern California. So I'm hearing you started your seeds in mid-May. And when did you harvest your hemp? Um, we just finished harvesting. I guess we started harvesting right around the equinox. I think around the 21st or 22nd, and we had three waves of harvest. Um, the CBG, white, and stem cell came in first alongside the lifter uh, CBD strain, so they all came in, and then when that came down, we brought in the next wave. Um, we had cherry wine and SR1, and then a third wave, so... Fortunately, everything did not come to full fruition at the same time because <laughs> that would have been just total madness. Um, yeah, it worked out great. So harvest lasted maybe a few weeks or so as things um, came into their flower. And now we're still bucking it off the stock and getting it tucked away uh, for the wintertime and storage and hopefully, uh, you know, lots of sales. Yeah, that's so cool. So for your harvest process, were you harvesting the whole plants? I mean, were you out there with like totes? What was that like? Could you talk a little about a little bit about your harvest process? We just went through our harvest here and some of us are still in it. So very topical conversation for the moment. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, well, the field there uh, worked best just to take the cap off the Toyota the pickup, a little four-cylinder, four-wheel drive, and uh, basically just drove that out. And we did end up harvesting um, whole plants for the experiment for UVM just to have everything consistent, all harvested in one day. And then some of the other stuff we harvested also whole plant as we had been getting more and more frost. Um, but some of the stuff we topped and then let some of the smaller branches go a little longer, uh, especially with the white, the CBG, that was nice. Um, and so basically we had a crew uh, out in the field and just loaded up the pickup, drove it back across the river, and then hung it up on the trellis netting, um, which worked great. And, um, yeah, that was the basic flow of it, fill up the pickup and make a load and get it hung up as quick as we could, and, uh, you know, have a lot of fun doing it. It's a beautiful thing just to be outside in the fresh air, um, that's for sure. Yeah, so you said you had a crew with you. Were those just, like, local community members, friends of yours kind of thing? 
Yeah, we had a lot of support from uh, friends in the community. A friend of mine who also um, is a, a partner in a hemp farm nearby, uh, Grass River Hemp. They're just wonderful, lovely people. So she was out quite a bit. I love her dearly, my friend Madison. And then my friend's son was here. And then uh, some other folks to help harvest, some of my yoga students and a bunch of other folks and their kids. And uh, my friend's mom, who had been just dreaming of growing cannabis forever. So it was like a big treat for her to come out <laughs> and help harvest. So what a beautiful smile she had that day. And uh, we also had a lot of help um you know, with the planting and preparing the field and the use of um, farm implements from the local farm, Birdsfoot Farm, which is actually where I met my buddy Phil, who's the owner of the farm here. And uh, at Birdsfoot, it's been an organic veggie farm and community, uh, intentional community for a number of decades now. And so, interestingly, that's where Phil and I met. And then Dooley was so excited to have a farmer down the road that she's like, you can use my tractor whenever you want. And so it was great to rent that tractor from her and give her some extra funds and have that, um, you know, to use and move all the big bits of haylage. We also, uh, I share the land here with our great-grandma Isis. She's 95. Today, actually, is her birthday. Uh, and uh, so she was opening and closing the gate in the heat of the summer um, when I was moving those big round bales, uh, you know, brings tears to my eyes just, uh, you know, to see the spirit here with all the people working together and, you know, to have uh, an elder right there uh, just makes me very happy. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear that it was such a community effort because that was one of my next questions for you was just, what is your community like there, and what had the response been like to your hemp farming operation? You know, as we sort of get more comfortable with cannabis and hemp in different parts of the countries, I think we're probably going to see some people kind of come out of the woodwork, like your friend's mom that you talked about, who was so excited to interact with a, a cannabis or a hemp plant. Um, and I imagine we'd probably also see the opposite, maybe some people that were very fearful or didn't want that presence in their community so i want to ask you was there any pushback from the community about this project any negative vibes or negative feedback um well it's kind of interesting you know the stigma still attached to like marijuana and you know all of that kind of history um <clears throat> you know the farm here is kind of tucked away and kind of hidden you know the field is across the river um, you know, it's mostly just wildlife moving around over there. But my friend Madison and the Little River folks, um, their farm is actually right alongside a major highway. And so their field of beautiful trees was, you know, within, I don't know, meters of, of the road. And uh, it's so funny because Joe often will have people drive up and stop and just look or slow down and peek or they'll drive by and they'll beep, you know, kind of excitedly. And I think, you know, there is a lot of kind of conservative thinkers up here who still have that, oh, you know, marijuana is bad or cannabis is bad. But then they also, I don't think there's a single person that doesn't know someone who uses it and is, a, you know, a positive contribution to society, you know, and 
more and more people, regardless of their political beliefs, are using it to treat pain and anxiety and all these other things. So I think these kinds of issues go beyond those, you know, ideologies and actively work to, you know, unite people in a sense. And um, also it's kind of funny, at the farmer's market, <laughs> my friend Madison, they were selling some CBD oil that they had uh, made from what they pressed. And there was a lady there who, you know, wasn't, she was a little familiar with it, but didn't really know much about it. And, you know, she was afraid to take the tincture at the market because she didn't want it to affect her driving because, you know, she wasn't aware that it wouldn't intoxicate you. And anyways, she had had, um, uh, what is it, fibromyalgia. And so she put a bunch of this bomb that they had made on her hands and shoulders and walked around the market. And she came back, she was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And so she basically, you know, got some of the tincture and all that stuff and um, took it home and has been using it and left her like this 15-minute phone message, <laughs> uh, just like telling her how she had such a relief from her pain and all that stuff. And so um, what's amazing is that, you know, even though she had those preconceived notions of it and was kind of hesitant to use it, her direct experience of it, you know, really just brought her, you know, to see the benefits fully. And uh, she's like, please tell everybody my story. And, <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, it's it's a very positive thing in the community. You know, people are starting to see that, you know, plant medicine is, you know, well, as far as I can tell, it's essential to our well-being, um, you know, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, you know, all those relationships. Um, and, you know, I think it's become more and more mainstream now, so people, you know, that might have been afraid... Uh, we'll do it, and actually, you know, New York is looking to legalize it, um, recreational cannabis. So I think as soon as that happens, all the people who've been wanting to smoke cannabis <laughs> for decades will actually be like, give me some. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to observe, actually. Well, that is such a about that woman at the market, Len. Thank you so much for sharing that with us and I have so many more questions um, that have come up while you've been speaking but I just want to take a moment quickly to thank those who have donated during the cannabis hour to our flash drive we have Mario from Ukiah he did an online pledge and says he loves music shows democracy now TUC radio reveal local news and of course the cannabis hour thank you Mario Corinne Powell chipped in and said she loves the news she gets from the Cannabis Hour. And Jen has blossomed into a great host. Thank you, Corinne. I love you so much. Thank you very much for your donation. And Jude Tillman of Fort Bragg also has contributed this afternoon. Thank you so much, Jude. Our total now is $250, and we do have a $1,000 goal for the Cannabis Hour. So I just want to remind you that we're doing our flash drive. If you would like to call in now and donate, that number is 707-895-2233. Again, that number is 707-895-2233. You can also visit our website, kzyx.org, or you can send a check to Post Office Box 1, Philo, California, 95466. 
Thank you so much for those donations to the people who donated. So back to you, Len. Uh, you had brought up how New York is possibly preparing for recreational cannabis. That is so fantastic. And something oh, that I wanted yeah. to ask you about is the legal process for the hemp farming there. You know, if you were listening to the first half of our show, I'm sure you heard our county supervisors, supervisors on there talking about our licensing process here in Mendocino County and in the state of California. It's just a mess and it's quite extensive and problematic and expensive. So what has the licensing uh, process been like for you as a hemp farmer? Um, well, fortunately, Phil is the, the paper man. So he was handling most of the licensing. Um, and I do a lot of the, the work here on the farm. So he was able to purchase a license that was good for five years. I believe this would be the second year that he, we've had it. And um, and at that point, it was like, I don't know, it was $500 for the license or $250. I mean, it was a bit of money, but, you know, not outrageous. <clears throat> um, and so all that has been kind of on cruise control. And then just this year, you know, they were saying how they were going to, you know, tweak the, the CBD, you know, um, legality and the licensing and all that stuff. And from what I have read so far, it's kind of like they're really trying to wipe out the little guy because, you know, if you want to have three retailers and pay for processing and, you know, do all jump through all the hoops, it's like over eight grand or something like that to really have a go of it and you know it makes it much more difficult for you know especially I mean us just starting up you know if we had started next year facing all of those additional expenses that could have been a, a real issue um, you know so honestly I'm hoping that with recreation um, coming into being here legally um, that that will kind of restructure and maybe won't be as expensive or, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what it will look like, and it's been changing so much that it's hard for me to stay on top of it. Um, but that's my understanding at this point. Um, and our, our license is good for, I believe, two or three more years. Um, but that, you know, was supposed to also be tossed out by New York. They just decided last minute that they were going to continue the program instead of handing it over to the federal government. And so it looked like we were going to do the federal regulations, but then that all changed back to the state. So it's <laughs> it's funny, kind of like, what exactly is going on? <laughs> oh. Right. It sounds like you're majorly in flux over there as well, just as we are over here in California. Although I have to say it sounds a lot cheaper and easier to be farming hemp in New York than it does to grow legal cannabis in California. <laughs> so that's yeah. awesome for you. And um, have you had anybody out there to like sample the hemp and test it? You know, I know there's probably a certain percentage of THC you're allowed to have and probably very low. Is there any, has there been any enforcement around that for you? Any inspections or anything like that? Um, we had a couple of inspections from a very friendly fellow, Chris from Ag and Markets, um, really great fellow. 
Uh, he came out to see the field before we had put anything out there. And then when we had finished our planting, he came out again to check it out. And, you know, he was impressed. And we were doing some fun experiments, co-planting, you know, mints and other flowers and stuff. Um, so he was really excited by that and actually um, asked if he could bring another farmer from nearby, a woman out of Vermontville in the Adirondacks, Baruby Botanicals, real sweetheart, hardworking lady. Um, and so he then came and brought her out to check out the farm. You know, we showed her the greenhouse set up and talked about how we started them on the heating pads because of the cold and all this stuff. And so, you know, um, that was very positive. Um, and we ended up actually not having the hemp tested by the state this year, I think, because at one point it looked like they weren't going to continue. Maybe they just decided not to test or spend the money. I don't know exactly. Um, but we did um, get each of we did five strains total, and we did send them to a Biotrax lab outside of Rochester um, and got each strain tested. Um, so we had three CBD strains and then two CBG strains. And they ended up having pretty good percentage. The lifter was like 20.2%, and that was the highest. Um, the others were around like 16 or 15. So, but um, the way the, the law works, everything is going to be legal until October 31st of 2021 because it falls under, I guess, the old farm bill. So the Delta 9 THC is below 0.3, but actually all of the CBD strains under the new farm bill, my understanding is that they will, the total THC is above 0.3, so they may not be legal in a year. I don't know um, how that will all change if federally they do legalize it, or I don't know what's going on with all that. But um, So everything is legal for a year at least. <laughs> So we got a year to sell everything. <laughs> At least the CBD strains. The CBG were well under that 0.3 total THC, so they they could hang around, I guess, but hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully, the year will be way more time than you need to sell your wonderful crop. So. We've got about 10 minutes left today. I'm going to continue this very interesting conversation that Len and I are having here. But I'm also just going to open up our phone line to callers just in case any of you listeners out there have a question about what we talked about earlier with Supervisor Williams and Hashtag or if you have a question or a comment for Len, our hemp farmer guest today. So that phone number um, for our live on the air call-in is 707 707- Eight nine five two four four eight. So that is seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight. Cool. So it sounds like you grew some hemp that was pretty high in CBD. Um, I actually grew some cannabis out here last year that uh, higher in THC than what you're describing, but also very high in, in CBD. And the plants were really quite small. So a question I had for you is, like, how big did your plants get? Were they sizable? Were they little minis? Uh, well, the ones, uh, we started most of them from seed, and some of those turned into some big, beautiful mamas. I mean, oh, man, one of them I called her the queen bee. She was right in the middle of the garden. 
we had a rodent problem that affected the, the cambiums after they hayed the field. Um, and so some of them got slowed down and um, affected a bit by that. But she was untouched, and, oh, wow, she was bigger around than my parents' dinner table. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful diva she was, you know. Um, so some of the plants, you know, we probably got, I mean, from her, probably over a pound maybe. I don't know. But I think, you know, average maybe half a pound to a pound, probably closer to half a pound. Um, and the SR1s that we got as starts were started a little later, and they looked like little palm trees when we got them. So they didn't get too big. Um, but they were nice and dense, and a couple of them actually jumped right up there. And we did have a kind of funny thing with the cherry wine seeds, actually. Um, we got, like, these little midget plants, these little teeny little buggers, and they were little cute little bonsais, but, you know, they didn't get over a foot tall. It was something to do with the genetics my friend was telling me about. But I think, you know, if we had started the plants, you know, a couple weeks earlier and got them out about a month earlier, or at least three weeks earlier, the plants could have gotten even a little larger. Um, you know, it was really nice having a dry year here to have the irrigation to really feed them. Um, but, yeah, that, I, I estimate anywhere from, oh, I don't know, 150 to 200 pounds of hemp from about 420, 450 plants um, because we did lose a few dozen to the rodent damage, but yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like the rodents, you know, were they chewing on the stalks there? That's a very common problem that we have out here in our cannabis gardens as well. We call it girdling. They eat off the outer yeah. layer and then the plant can't really take up as much moisture and nutrients, it seems. Is that the kind of damage you're describing? Yeah, it was exactly that. They were girdling and almost girdling the plants. But I had this weird feeling about the farmers hanging the field. I don't know, for some reason I just had this odd feeling in my gut about it. And I'm like, well, you know, want to help them feed their cows and stuff. And so they hate the field. And then it was like almost immediately after the rodent damage appeared because figure there goes 40 acres of subnivian layer for those uh, voles and so they moved in, and all oh, the damage picked up so fast. At one point, I was like, oh, no, are we going to lose everything? Or, you know, oh. well, thank God for tree gum and cayenne pepper um, because that was a good repellent. And then I was doing some research because I was trapping them as well every way that I could. But I was catching a lot of shrews, and my father was a conservation officer, and he was looking up you know, what I was catching, and he found that the shrews were actually uh, predators. You know, they, they predatized the voles and the other mice. And so when I stopped trapping them, because I was actually catching more shrews, Mother Nature basically took care of business. And so between that and then we planted some buckwheat um, to kind of as an attractant for, you know, pests or, you know, ladybugs or things to keep the aphids down you know, and stuff like that. So the buckwheat seed came in at the same time and drew a lot of the mice out of the garden, like at the perfect time, too. So, you know, I tried everything from the Pied Piper method, <laughs> to 
playing my flute to, you know, like aggressive trapping to, you know, Mother Nature, ultimately, she's in charge. So, um, you know, she's the one making it happen. <laughs> yeah. So real quick, I just want to thank the Lopez Morgan family and Mendocino. You know, Natural Farms for your generous donation today. Love you guys. Thank you so much. And we have a caller that we're going to take really quick. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Just four minutes left. But we're going to quickly take this caller. Caller, you're live on the Cannabis Sour. Are you there? Would that be me? Yes. Hi, it's Corinne calling. And when you had said there might be an opportunity to get questions to supervisors, Paschek and Williams. I did have a couple of thoughts that I can't seem to get answers to, and maybe you can get through to them after the show. Yeah, go ahead. So the Shoot. The first question regards the two test cases that were submitted to CDFA from the county and those two test cases for sequel review used Appendix G, as we've been calling it, and a narrative of their operation, and they were, quote, approved to move forward to an annual license. I can't get them to tell me what has happened to that pathway of approval, and if indeed those two permittees from the county who went with the county's assistance through Appendix G processing if they were indeed approved for annual licenses. Because if they were, why not more? Second issue is, uh, recently it seems that the majority, if not the overwhelming majority, of public comments to the board regarding expansion of cannabis uh, acreage and licensing and the hemp ordinance were passed without listening to that major majority of people saying, no, this is not the time, this is not good for Mendocino. And I'm really wondering if anybody is taking that uh, peculiarity of ignoring the constituents into a, a larger forum, and I think that we should, and I would have asked, Ask Jack and Williams how they felt about that because it seems to be an increasing issue during the lame duck session of supervisors McCowan and Brown. So those are my two concerns, and thank you for taking my comments. And congratulations on your show, Jen. You do a great job. Thank you so much, Corinne, and thank you for your donation earlier. I took notes while you were speaking, and I will try my best to get those questions answered and I will hopefully have answers for you in two weeks on the next episode of the Cannabis Hour. We have just one minute left so unfortunately Len we're going to have to wrap up our time with you today. I want to thank you for sharing your experience and I want to give you the last minute of our show to tell our listeners how they can find out more about you. I know you have a YouTube channel how they can just get in touch if they want to maybe buy some hemp from Sheena's farm or they just want to about you and what you do. Yeah, well, uh, I feel, you know, it's a great pleasure and I feel an honor to be on your show. Um, you know, it's a very positive voice that you have and uh, I'm so happy to participate um, with you in this and feel very blessed to do so. 
And yeah, I would love to um, bring the good medicine out to the world. Um, so you can find me at on uh, Instagram at Ancient Earth Skills, um, or you can email uh, shimahillhemp at gmail dot com um, for for hemp for medicinal hemp. Um, yeah, and if you want to check out some fun YouTube stuff, uh, different uh, edible medicinal plants. Uh, how to make fire by friction in the winter time uh, or after the rain and some other skills uh, you can check out the YouTube ancient earth skills dash Len Mackey uh, if you look for Len Mackey it's easier to find um, but yeah I would love to hear from any, anybody and everybody and um, share this good stuff with more and more folks Thank you so much, Len, and thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Thank you for everyone who contributed to the flash drive, and I will be back to.